0: trail and ultra runners what is going on what's happening welcome to another episode of the coop cast as always i am your humble host coach Jason Coop, And on this episode of the podcast, we have a repeat offender in Kareem Ramadan, who is a specialist in sports psychology. I had him on the podcast several weeks ago, and it was just so good. And I got so many great comments on it. I just had to bring him back. In addition to that, Kareem and I had this great conversation recently in Chamonix, France, just before the UTMB and CCC events. And I, what I wanted to do with this podcast was try to create this conversation that we had in as natural of a format. And it's all about self-talk and how athletes can leverage self-talk for better performance. And more importantly, how they can structure their self-talk throughout the year, just like you would structure any other training program. A lot of times we think about mileage and intensity and doing intervals and doing climbing, and we structure them throughout the year in a logical fashion but we don't think about some of the sports psychology skills such as self-talk and how we can also organize that in a logical periodized fashion and cream and I get down to the heart of how to do that in order to make the most out of the, out of those hard earned miles that you are running and make the most out of the psychology that you can develop to leverage your best performance. It was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun with it. Here we go. We're going to get right into it. Here is my conversation with Kareem Ramadan. I think we could start out with like, you could satiate my curiosity a little bit because I do want to know more about your coaching practice because it's, it's interesting. Give me and give me, the listeners a scope of the types of athletes that you're working with and kind of the context of how you work with them as well. Mm
1: -hmm. All right. Uh, The majority of the athletes that I work with would be endurance athletes, mostly. Um, I do work, and actually I would say 95% of my athletes are individual, that practice individual sports. So, uh, team sports, we do a bit of work, but that would be more in the framework of a conference or a seminar, a group discussion. But nothing is better than a one on one talk. I mean, it's psychology after all. Right. Uh, it's important in our field to treat each athlete as a whole individual and their experience is unique. Now, definitely, you get a lot of similarities and eventually you, tr- you find uh, common patterns, common thoughts, common answers, and common behaviors but it's always unique. It's always linked, and the athlete would react to um, past moments that they've been through, or they would react to a certain situation all according to what they've passed through through their lives, so environmental factors. So if an athlete would, let's say, have a really hard time, let's take UTMB as an example, uh, have a really hard time, on uh, with weather let's say brutal conditions hard in the middle of a valley some athletes would take it as really normal because they've been raised in areas that's been really hot so their self-talk would be different another athlete that really likes colder climate would really react in a completely different way so their self-talk would be really different even in the same type of environment um so self-talk is something unique. It's important for practitioners to have long discussions with the athlete. Uh, I like to start to, with an athlete uh, in the beginning with a lot of reflections. So let's say they finish a workout and we have a discussion or even before we get to our, let's say, weekly discussion. I like them to reflect on their workout. So let's say they use training peaks or final surge. In the comment box where most coaches would put comments and feedback, I like them to spend some time there, like two minutes after workout, say, okay, Uh, first I like them to rate their RPE so that I understand also what's going on there. I do like to get insight on their uh, physiological data a bit just to try to link things of how they're going, try to understand their feelings in relation with the effort that was put in the workout. And then here they start to dive in reflections. Um, let's say they would say, okay, today I woke up feeling nice, but the run uh, turned out bad because uh, it was hot or because I felt just tired in the middle of the run. And then I try with time over you know week after week, accumulating all these reflections. We try to understand how their thoughts are working in a way. I try to highlight with the athlete with the help of their reflections and our discussions highlight if we have any chain of reactions I'm going to give you an example from uh, one of my athletes today he's about 12 years old a tennis player um, we, tr- we highlighted today how this negative chain of reaction starts he gets angry always at a certain point of the game and he just smashes the tennis rack and it's happening you know every other week And then we saw like, okay, whenever he sees that the other athlete is two points in front of him, he gets anxious on the inside. This anxiety puts him in a negative situation, this critical anxious situation. Anxiety makes him angry. Then he loses accuracy. He starts to put more power. Balls start to go away from the field. Here starts negative self-talk that I'm not good. He starts to tell himself, I'm not good being clumsy so on. So he gets into this negative spiral and his way to exit all this is unleash his anger out. So we go back to the beginning of how he perceived and he thought about this two-point difference. So in this chain of reaction that's happening, we kind of want to cut this chain and to channel it somewhere different. And it's no different than uh, a chain of reaction that would happen with an endurance athlete. The mind would read how the body is feeling, like I'm feeling exhausted. If I tell myself like, oh shit, I'm feeling exhausted, I'm taking myself to a negative uh, loophole. So it's okay to highlight that something is not okay, like, okay, I'm exhausted. But then from that point, and this is where the work of the sports psychologist or a mental practitioner comes in, is to channel this highlight. It's very important to say, and state the mental and the physical state you're at, like, I'm not feeling okay. Okay, then what? Some athletes say, okay, I'm not feeling okay. I'm not good at this, I'm exhausted, I don't want to do this anymore, performance drops. So here it's important to negotiate the situation with inner self-talk. Because if you're out there in a long event, you're on your own. Even if it's a three kilometer, 3,000 meter stipple chase, you're on your own out there, your coach is away, you are with your own thoughts. You are your own guide. So we kind of want to guide those thoughts in a way.
0: You know what? The first thing that comes to my mind is, is every athlete has kind of had a similar experience from a racing perspective where mm-hmm. they get to a similar point at any race. And sometimes it's the exact same point at the exact same race, aid station, XYZ at this race that I've done for the past you know seven years. And that common point, whether it's a mile marker or an aid station or whatever, becomes this fork in the road, as, you had, as you've described it, between where their performance is going okay to where their performance starts to deteriorate. And any time that I've worked with an athlete and we've tried to backtrack what was actually going on, the athlete's perspective is is to try to solve that problem from a physiological perspective. I need more fluid, I need more food, I need to pay something differently, like some like something physical that's that's going on. And normally when I've gone through that that diagnosis, that's actually not the case. Normally there's some there there's something else that happens. They look at their splits and their two two minutes off, you know, to give your analogy of being two points, yeah. you know, two points behind with a tennis player. Or or something like that that starts this this chain of reaction. And unless the athlete has done a really good job of capturing all of those notes throughout training and also throughout racing, it's it's really hard to to like pinpoint actually what's what's go what's going on because there is this like milieu of physical and psychological and also environmental factors that start to kind of come into play. But the, the point that I always try to make is is you try to backtrack that in training first because you have bad patches in training all the time, right? And it doesn't need to manifest itself into smashing a tennis racket or something like that, so, something, that uh, uh, something that abrupt. But athletes get frustrated with training all the time. And if you do a really good job of backtracking where those frustration points are and what's going on from the whole setup physical and psychological you're able to 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 triage that into 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 better performance because ultimately you're trying to to choose a different you're trying to choose the different fork in the road right once you actually get once you actually get to that point but you don't know which way you need to turn if you don't if you can't figure out what's going on in the first place
1: Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of figuring out what's going on in the first place um, The reason why in the beginning When we start to work with athletes uh, We start with the reflections Is to explore the organic self-talk It's important for me to know What is this individual organic self-talk what, How do they deal with the negatives How do they deal with the positives How do they deal with different and various environments What do they tell themselves these thoughts, what kind of images do they trigger? Because self-talk is the foundation of imagery. Um, self-talk is always there. So whenever you're thinking of something, even if it's verbal, it's, it's going to trigger an image. And when you're alone out there uh, on the trails or especially in road running, you can easily have an image because you're not focused on the technical path. You can easily imagine something and be out. Your legs are rolling, but your mind, you have an image out there. So I like to know what sort of images do they get? What are they thinking of? I like to explore different aspects of their lives, not just the athletic. What are they thinking about? Work, uh, family, personal issues perhaps, something irrelevant. I just want to know how does their mind roam out there when running, even before or after a workout. So just to know organically what's happening. Then we explore what is leading to have positive self-talk, positive feels, because most of us would easily highlight a negative run, like it was so bad, and we try to analyze and see what has happened. We discuss with the coach or a psychologist and so on. But we rarely think of the positive experiences. We think about it. We embrace it. Maybe feel happy about it. Recently, you see an athlete posting a story when when the training went well. We know it went well. But in the majority of the time, we don't really reflect and think what has triggered this positive feel. To me, it's one of the fundamentals in my work. I want to know what triggered a positive feel because I want us to induce it later when we need it. Mm. I want us to know what sort of conditions, what sort of thoughts were there to explore and to see what strength points do we have in the thoughts of this athlete. Because Let's say from the physiological point of view, to make it easy, I'm going to compare with physiology because we can easily compare. Uh, You start to work with an athlete, you make an assessment, and you say, okay, they got speed, they lack endurance, so on. And when it comes to sports psychology and self-talk in specific, I like to do the same. I want to know what strength points they have when it comes to the mind what are the weaknesses? And then we we assess to see where are we gonna work? Where do we urgently need to work? Sometimes you get an athlete a month or I've had even a week before a big event. Here it's like an emergency plan. I really need to find out what are the main negatives out there and then try to uh, negotiate those negative thoughts a bit.
0: So if you've got the situation where you've identified a component or a piece of self-talk that has then triggered a good workout or a good performance. You mentioned that you want to be able to leverage that again when the athlete actually needs it because they don't need it. I'm in complete agreement with you here. You don't, you typically don't need this stuff on good days. Everything just happens, you know, as it should on good days, you make your money, right? I tell my coaches this all the time you make your money when things are going bad. And it's probably the same yeah. in your in your scope of practice too. I like that grin on your face. You make your money when things are going bad because that's how, you know, that's when athletes really need a lot of help to to turn the ship around. How does that process work? Like if you've identified the types of self, and you could go through a practical example. If you've identified a t- like a, a type of self-talk that is efficacious for the athlete to create a good workout or a good performance, how do you then go about implementing it when you need to turn the ship around is 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 it as easy as just say, "Hey, listen, whenever you're feeling bad, I want you to say this to yourself i mean how does how does that actually practically look?
1: okay um, just to go back, it's very correct that most athletes would usually come when they have a really negative experience like most <laughs> I would say ninety percent of the athletes come to me and they're uh, like devastated like we've been trying so hard to do this, we think this, we think that very few say okay we're in tip-top shape and we want to we just want to keep it that way it's very rare so they come sometimes it's a bit i wouldn't say not too late what's the right it doesn't have to be bad to work on the mind
0: yeah but But that's the way everybody's not not
1: not every athlete needs to work on the mind sometimes they're organically very very good
0: yeah it's the same thing with physiology, that's, that's right? Same thing with yeah. physiology. They can almost kind of do anything in training and they'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar.
1: So to identify, uh, let's say, the good elements leading to a good day, definitely after it does require a certain period of uh, reflections and discussions and a lot of exploration and uh, trial and error. Like uh, once we try to figure out some things, I would ask the athlete like, okay, try to wake up at – 7am because it felt suitable your body feels calm at that time rather than a 9am run so we try to chase these little details like what what did you eat what did you watch the night before who were you with uh, were you training with someone or alone i have a lot of athletes that struggle when they train with a specific person they just don't like this other person and it could influence the run or someone that pushes the pace or they enjoy to run with a specific person so we go into these details and we try to induce them in workouts. To induce certain uh, feels, uh, a lot of athletes ask to induce flow state, which is a state that you're rolling effortlessly. Um, you're not thinking much of physical, your mind is out, you're enjoying to the utmost. So, to induce this state, uh, we try to chase the elements that induce it in the first place organically. Was it the breathing was it the thoughts was it the food or is it the the weather and the surrounding so a good example of self-induced uh, flow state is uh, I've had this athlete who ran um, on his own about a hundred kilometers and he felt it was effortless he finished it at ease had no issues whatsoever the moment he finished this ultra run, we went into the details of what did he eat before, the preparation, the weather, the country that he was in. So, And he never got this flow state in his home country. He had to travel to the same place to get it. He felt something connected beyond the run itself. So now, okay, we know what sort of uh, elements this individual needs to induce self-induce a uh, flow state. Um. When it comes to competition, it's uh, sometimes difficult to induce the perfect elements because they might say, okay, race starts on a different time, what you like. You might be a morning runner and the event starts at night. So here it becomes a bit difficult. But what we do is we try as much as we can to collect the goods that you like, the pre-race meal, um, a breathing exercise that you like, certain habits that you like to do. We try to put as much as we can from those. So I have athletes that like to be tip-top focused on races the night before an event, to be watching something uh, race-related, to be sharp focused on the race. And I have other athletes that like to do something completely irrelevant. It doesn't suit them to be thinking of race. It would raise their anxiety. So some athletes like feel ready when they eat pasta. Some others feel ready when they eat rice. So this is the amount of details that I like the athlete to be mentally aware of, like I'm doing what I like. I'm doing what leads me to a good state.
0: Okay. So what I'm getting from you is, is you're trying to set up the entire environment based on previous behaviors and previous patterns in order to kind of like stay out of this negative space in the first place. Mm -hmm. So this is, and I've heard, I've heard a lot of, sports psychologists kind of talk about that, that environmental you're looking at the whole environment, right? Training partners, time of day, what you're eating, all these things you're trying to make conducive to the training session and the, and kind of the athlete as a whole. My thought always goes to overload and adaptation though, because that's my, that's my background, right? It's more of a physiological construct. And when I hear this, we're trying to create this utopian environment for the athlete. The thing that, that my mind drifts towards is reality isn't like that. And they need to be able to cope with stressful and unideal environments, just as they need to be able to know how to set up the environment to thrive. And I'm wondering how, like how you balance that because they they do seem, and the listeners are probably you know, thinking about this in their heads right now, those do seem at kind of like polar opposite types of of construct where there are times where I want an athlete to be able to work out and to perform in an unideal or a hostile type of environment, right? Just so they can learn that they can get over whatever they need to, they need, they need to get over. That's almost on the polar opposite of we want to wake up at the perfect time every day and have rice instead of pasta and like create this, like, you know, like I said, this utopian environment. So I'm wondering like what your thoughts are on that kind of like bifurcation of, 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 strategies that you see out there a lot in practice with coaches and with athletes. Uh,
1: it is a thin line to make a certain balance. Uh, it's important to do both. It's important to be aware of what suits you most, but also it's important every now and then to do something uncomfortable to train at uh, an hour that you dislike, to train with someone that you dislike. Because in competition, if you're a competitive athlete, you're going to be racing sometimes with people that are going to push the effort from the beginning. You kind of want to stick with them. It's it's a lot of elements. But to challenge ourselves with environmental factors or uh, mental factors, I like to do it consciously with the athlete like to tell them okay we're gonna do this to feel uncomfortable and to see how to deal with it but every now and then like once a week once every two weeks because for the amateur athlete they they want to enjoy the activity so you kind of want them to collect things that allow them to enjoy but for an intermediate level athlete uh, actually more than the elite because the elite already has been through a lot The intermediate athlete needs to be more conscious about those and to know, okay, this element or this situation makes me uncomfortable. We're going to have to do it every now and then to adapt more. Uh, Some of the athletes that I work with and get amazed by how much they deal well with the uncomfortable are um, professional athletes. They deal with brutal environments. In their case, it's very hard to put something that suits you very well. In in alpinism, you might end up climbing twenty days, uh, sorry, twenty hours straight, sometimes staying in the tent and not climbing for four or five days. So, in that case, we really need to highlight what suits them or something that brings them comfort. Uh, it could be a comfort meal, like a little candy bar that they keep with for emergency situations, or I've had this case of this athlete that uh, took with him. On his expedition, uh, a sample of his favorite perfume—it just made him feel fresh. <laughs> on let's say summer day, he felt fresh. I mean, two months without shower—it uh, really made him feel nice. So, collecting these little things in such extreme cases, it's a very important
0: practice. So here, here's here's what I think is really important from that from that example right there, is the amount of adversity training we'll call it that we'll put the we'll put that in a bucket right where you're intentionally asking or athletes are intentionally asking of themselves to go out into a harsh unideal environment and go and training and go and compete the amount that you're asking the athletes to do that in training is somewhat proportional to what they need to experience during in the field of competition or, or kind of during a task so your alpinists need to do it more than your endurance athletes who they're still cre- they're still competing in harsh environments, but not as harsh as an alpinism yeah. type of environment. And my personal coaching ratio is about one to five. Meaning, when we're when I'm looking at organizing an athlete's schedule and things come up, they don't sleep really well for a couple days in a row, or the weather is crap for a few days in a row one out of every every 5 of those instances or maybe two out of every 5 of those instances i'm telling them just to suck it up just suck it up get it done you need some adversity training will ch- it's not going to be the perfect training day out there you'll kind of get it done the other 3 or 4 out of 5 times i'm reorganizing it to to suit a more ideal outcome for the particular workout or, the, or, or for the particular phase and that's because i know during race day you know unless they're doing something kind of off the charts from an FKT perspective, or we know they're going to be in a really challenging environment. <laughs> it's not going to be so off the wall that they're going to have to have a super honed set in that, in, from that perspective. It
1: depends on the level of the athlete.
0: That's true too. Yeah.
1: If, again, if it's an elite athlete, it, uh, it's easier to get them to, you know, tell them, get the job done. Uh, an amateur It depends on the character. In that case, on the organic character of what you have initially. But I think it's the most challenging with sub-elite and intermediate athletes because if you put too much of those, they might end up disliking. So we see sometimes, a lot of times, sorry, especially with younger athletes, sub-elite, and you feel like, okay, they're going to have a bright future. This is it. Training becomes challenging. Lifestyle becomes more structured. And then you stop seeing them. They vanish from the sport. Because they stop they stop liking what they're doing. It's because we're challenging them too much. So here it depends. I get cases of athletes that are mentally depleted simply because it has been so much challenging for them and so much structure. So here, okay, we discuss with the coach, like, okay, we kind of want a different strategy. We kind of want something that suits what they like, a specific time that suits the most, conditions that they like in a way. Just for a phase until they mentally recover, feel fresh, and then here, okay, we start to challenge them again every once in a while. Um, I like to work up close with coaches, not just with the athlete. I like to be very much connected with the coach to know what's their philosophy in training, to know how much are they willing to challenge the athlete, and here, okay, we make this, we we got we got to work as one team, to know around this coach, around this athlete, to know like what are the goals of this athlete? What's his character like? Uh, how much are we willing to develop their mental capacity? Because a lot of uh, aspects from mental capacity development, they come from the physical training. When you put them in brutal conditions that they dislike, like heat or cold, uh, after that, you're gonna get an outcome. Of okay, they will start adapting to training in the rain.
0: They'll either figure it out or they don't.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I've had a case of an athlete that like you, you you couldn't tell her, okay, train in the rain. She was using treadmill all winter. <laughs> and then yeah. And then we she was in training camp, uh, and weather was brutal in that area in winter. Like the worst conditions. Temperature was five degrees Celsius with rain and wind. This is like it's not snowing, yeah. That's uh, which makes things easy, yeah. and it's it's miserable, yeah. wet and cold. Yeah. You don't want that. Miserable. But she just got used to it. Every day she was out twice, so she just got to it after a couple of weeks. Um, but sometimes you get athletes that break and say, "Okay, I cannot do this anymore." So you challenge them a bit. You say, "Okay, how about we try this today? Uh, tomorrow we do. Okay, two days off. We train on a treadmill." But in her case, it took a couple of weeks for her to adapt. But training wasn't extremely challenging because we wanted one element to adapt to at a time. So it wasn't possible to put this highly structured training program. Otherwise, it will stress her from both environment and the physiological aspect. So we chose one, one of those, which was the RAIN. Once she adapted, she was able to resume training normally.
0: This, in the this, beginning,
1: her self-talk was horrible. She was feeling miserable in the rain, like, I'm cold, I'm struggling. And then it was like, okay, once the rain coming, I'm ready. It, it was amazing to see in two weeks how this self-talk transformed from complete negative, denying, like, like how. She was asking herself, what is she doing out there? Like, yeah, what right. am I doing? And then it was like, uh, it became joy. It became like something she wanted. She wanted to train in the rain eventually.
0: So I want to come back to this aspect of how athletes can use self-talk and intentionally develop it and use it to their advantage. Because the example yeah. that you just mentioned is, it, it. we keep using the word organic. It was one that, I mean, I'm kind of getting the sense from you that the athlete just kind of figured it out. You know, eventually they just reveled in this, you know, cold, rainy type type of environment. But I do think that athletes – in general, can do a better job of evaluating their previous training, looking at those cues of what created great workouts and great performances, and using some of the self-talk learning lessons for the future. But I don't think a lot of athletes have a pathway of how to actually do that, whether they're kind of DIYing their own training, or they're working with a coach, or they're working with a sports psychologist. And so, When, take us through what, like how you actually do that as a practitioner, you already went through, okay, we're going to evaluate, you know, we're kind of going to evaluate the notes. We're going to look at, you know, what, what is in training peaks, what's in final surge, but give a little bit more depth to how you can bring that to light from an athlete that has, you know, six or nine months to train for an event that eventually is going to have to leverage better self-talk to optimize performance. Mm -hmm.
1: Just to explain something from the case of the athlete training in the rain, uh, we did work on the self-talk. Okay. Uh, what made it easy in a way is that I was physically present in training camp for those two weeks. So um, a bit of encouragement in the beginning, a bit of excitement. It, it can really affect the other athletes, and this is where my job comes, that uh, I have to ignite the excitement somewhere, like, okay, we're getting it done. It might be like this on race day. We will adapt to every single situation. This ignites something internally, like especially the competitive athletes. When you yeah. tell them on race day, yeah. you might embrace these conditions. It might be a strength point against your competitors. And they, she embraced this these conditions perfectly. Like uh, recently, she raced really well in, in these conditions. It was brutal. On top of the summit, she was flying in those conditions. She was doing very well. Like She wasn't thinking about it. And making peace with conditions is very important on the mental aspect. Um, when it's raining, it's very natural for us to make this certain grimace be- because you're having, you know, um, raindrops coming on your face and wind. So here you're making your face a bit stiff. So it's kind of like this anxious, uncomfortable mm-hmm. face. It's, it's going to affect your whole form. It will affect your whole performance. But if you make peace with it, if you say, I'm going to smile through it, I tell the athlete, today's exercise during the run is to smile through It's not to allow this grimace, anxious face. (laughs) Then it's gonna relax the whole body. It's gonna relax the mind, the body, and you will be rolling nicely. So to go back to to answer your question of, let's say we have a six months time frame. Um, It's a good time frame to work with an athlete on the mental aspect. I would say four to five months is the minimum. Um, So in the beginning, we have a a long phase of reflections and exploration of organic capacity. We have a phase of assessment, not just for self-talk, but self-talk is interrelated to every single mental skill, like your skills of setting goals, uh, imagery, um, controlling uh, controlling anxiety and stress. They're all interrelated to self-talk. So at least to me, I see soft talk as a very important foundation. Um, So after an initial phase of assessments and reflections, and just to get to know the athlete, get to know their behavior, their thoughts, here we start to highlight points that we need to work on. Let's say, if I sense that we need to work on setting specific goals or uh, modifying goals, we do that. And then we try to integrate some of those in the soft talk. Uh, if we say okay, we have a six-month time frame from a physiological aspect, then let's say we have two months of base training. As an example, I like to periodize mental skills in general and even self-talk. I really like to periodize like self-talk for base phase is different from self-talk in race-specific.
0: How are they different? So like I mean, what's like fundamentally? What's the difference between those? Okay,
1: two? in base in base training phase what sort of physiological elements are we trying to induce for the amateur to intermediate athlete it's building up endurance building up more capillaries building up the volume Uh, so i like the self-talk to be directed to those such as i'll give you an example Um, because training is not intense i assume especially in the beginning uh, if you're working with a good coach in that case and right. you know in the beginning it's going to be nice and smooth to start start with, then I like it to be really fresh and nice self-talk that we work with the athlete together to know. We can introduce phrases such as, I'm starting this I'm working towards my goal, uh, I'm building up myself. These words will also help the physiological elements happen like I'm building up my endurance. I'm going to improve. Uh, words like this will help the athlete stay fresh and in the game. And then gradually, as the volume starts to build up, here we can see what's challenging the individual, what's happening with the negative self-talk when they're fatigued. And we try to find answers for those. Like if they're fatigued, I see. Is it? Are they reading fatigue? from physiological feeling, or are they fatigued mentally from being out there for too many hours? So once we assess if it's physically induced or mentally induced, we modify the self-talk and we make answers to those. If the athlete says, I'm fatigued, I cannot do this anymore, we try to sit together and discuss and make logical answers. It's a dialogue. Negative thoughts are going to be there no matter what. But what matters is how you answer them, how to how you negotiate with those negative thoughts and then make the best out of them by transforming them to something either neutral or perhaps positive. It depends on the situation and it depends on the how heavy is this self-talk. Let's say, uh, after two weeks of break, this athlete starts with their base training and on the third week, uh, he or she would run with an athlete uh, that's a bit fitter a long run a bit fast and they fall back a bit the athlete here is going to have some negative self-talk like, i'm not good at it they're better than me how am i going to catch up so i like in that case to prepare the athlete for such situations uh, once we highlight that we are getting such types of self-talk and in base training i like to I mean, it's common for athletes to get these sort of feelings in early phase of training. So we try to prepare the athlete mentally what to answer those. Uh, we, can, we can put answers such as, okay, I'm in the beginning. I'm improving a bit. It's going to need a little while to get back at it. Uh, and try to make logical answers for those. Like It's okay to be a bit uh, below my regular level. These answers are neutral and a bit logical. We cannot make it 100% positive in that case. Right. are going to have to suck it up at some point and say, okay, this is how it is.
0: It is what it is.
1: Yeah, it is what it is. And then week after week, we see how things go. And then let's say we get to a little race test, a time trial or hard workout start. Uh, here, I like to see what the athlete, how do they, what do they tell themselves uh, about pacing before starting a hard workout, so on, to try to prepare together what the stomp talk is going to be for the bigger events. I did this today with an athlete that she has a half marathon coming up. But before the half marathon, uh, she has a, a little 5K. So we use this little 5K to test the ultimate strategy that we're going to use in the half marathon. It's a little sample. So we're both going to test the half marathon tempo in a way in this 5k race um and also we're going to test what sort of words will will work for her in the beginning of the race in the middle and towards the end so after this little experiment we're going to discuss and see okay what were you telling yourself? Did it work? This word to use on the start, not to start too fast, because 90% of the athletes start too fast. I mean, even, <laughs> even the pros would do that. They just, with the excitement. So this is something I really like to control with any level of athletes. Control the start. You will protect them from feeling fatigued uh, early in the race. Uh And then, okay, once we feel fatigued, what are we going to tell ourselves? From these little experiments and little races leading to a big event, I like to collect a lot of information. I like the athlete to reveal, hopefully, all of their negative thoughts, negative feelings. And then we try to understand what led led the athlete to feel those and to make logical answers. Sometimes I've had this track uh, athlete preparing for a 10,000-meter uh, race, we listen about up to nine different thoughts that might occur on the event, negative thoughts like, I cannot do this anymore, or the pace is too hard, or it's too humid. For every single one of those, we listed four or five logical answers, and we try to transform and to throw in something positive. When we are preparing for a race over a really long block, six months, let's say, you can collect a lot of positive from the athletes. What's their strength point? Is it power? Is it endurance? Is it speed? Is it the uphill, the downhill, uh, loving the technical terrain, rain, sun, snow? We try to collect a lot of those. And then we kind of want to use those as much as we can once we find the right element. If the terrain was very technical and the athlete loves technical terrain, we throw a lot of, we inject them with a lot of, it's like taking a gel. We inject them as much as we can with positives related to what they like. So they feel fresh mentally with this, so they can mentally recover on this block. If the athlete loves the uphill, we would put keywords to remind them that, okay, I love uphill. This is what I'm here for. I love it. I'm feeling nice. If it's actually and physiologically their strength point it will be very fruitful yeah. because they might be passing some competitors. They will grow both mentally and physically so that if they struggle with a the downhill, they will have a bit of mental energy left over to deal with that.
0: Yeah.
1: I get a lot of athletes, especially in trail. And this is something interesting trail running that. Some athletes are better in uphill than the downhill. Some athletes are good in technical downhill, but not uh, yeah. uh, a dirt road downhill the more runnable ones. So I like to explore every single strength point they have, all the terrains, read the race as much as we can, and know, okay, with the race profile here, we're going to say this. On the downhill, we will try to say that. And I challenge them, like, what if you puke here? What if you fall? What if you lose something? Um, We try to challenge the athlete with a lot of factors that might happen. Anticipation is very important. Once we anticipate, we're gonna have an image, and the image will be related with thoughts and words. So this is what we modify, and we get prepared for.
0: Okay, I so want the athlete
1: will be wired for the event, at least for the majority of things that might happen. Not everything, but the majority.
0: I want to come back to that anticipation point because I do think that a lot of athletes spend time haphazardly rehearsing these things that may or may not happen in races without a whole lot of framework to them. And Mm -hmm. I've always found that just to, to, this is to ping off of your strengths and weaknesses piece that in a race or a competition type of setting, weaknesses tend to get reinforced to a greater magnitude as compared to strengths, because, not only is the athlete going to like literally lose time in their weakness, but they're also more critical of themselves at that point, at that juncture as well. So it's a negative reinforcement loop that in most cases, the compounding of those two things, physically not being as good in that, at that particular point, it's a technical downhill, right? Yeah. Physically not being as good during a technical downhill. And then also, being hard on themselves during that technical downhill, the psychology reinforcing the physicality that the negative physicality part of it is worth greater than the sum of its parts and normally supersedes their strengths because normally on a strength, they just kind of run as opposed to, Hey, I'm doing awesome during this part. And it's my strength yeah. and that, com- and that <laughs> has the same compounding effect. They normally don't do that. But I, I want to kind of get back before we go to racing, I want to kind of get back to training because Athletes always want quick fixes, and you and I are you and I are in alignment. There are no quick fixes to training. It's always it's always chronic adaptation. You presented this scenario where you have an athlete that's training for a half marathon. They're doing a five k prep, and they're doing that five k to not only dial their pacing in, but also to dial their self talk in. I, I don't want listeners to come away with. Oh, there's that. There's a solution. I'm gonna do a 50 mile. You know, I'm gonna do a 50 mile training run in in advance of my 100 mile race, and I'm gonna practice self talk during this 50 mile. Uh, during this 50 in, mile in event. In
1: case, just to clarify, we've been working on refining self talk for, if I'm not mistaken, for five months. Okay, but this in is... training in little tempo runs here and there. But how to put them like this little puzzle to test it? She hasn't had the chance yeah. to race until now. So and, we didn't have the
0: option. And that's what I want to get at. Like how many, you work directly with athletes and you also work in conjunction with coaches. How many times per week are you saying we you're going to do these specific things on this day? Like what's the right from a self-talk and a sports psychology perspective? What does that look like on a weekly basis? Is it twice a week, three times a week, every single day of the week? Like how, how does that unfold?
1: Okay. Um it depends on the level of the athlete um and their needs. So I like the minimum would be two. Okay. But they have in a way an idea like during an easy run we're gonna say this and this and that. During a hard workout we will experiment if if they're in race specific phase, they will experiment race related words that we will use on race day. Uh, if it's a long run we will use this and this and that so they already have an idea what to use according to the type of the run but if it's a high level athlete in that case we were we're dealing in a way in a more structured way like i would schedule i, I like to know with a coach what's the plan of the week way and we schedule together specific keywords to be used in specific sessions Even we go in depth, like, say, an athlete had eight times 1,000-meter repeats. We went one time with this athlete in really detailed level of self-talk that we used for each one of those different set of words and phrases and scenarios. Like, I'll give you an example. There were eight. The first three, we were only practicing the beginning of the race. So by the end of the 1,000-meter repeat. They have never imagined the end of the race as most athletes do. They were only refining the self-talk to be used in the beginning of the race and the pace to be used in the beginning of the race. Now, the middle three keyword, uh, repeats, Sorry, we use self-talk that we will use in the middle of the race. And then the last two, they were related to the last part of the race. Sometimes I would challenge them. I would put the beginning of the race as the last, very last one, just not to, uh, not to let them push too hard. And this is very challenging. Like imagine finishing seven repeats and then the last one yeah. is the end. You're wired to think of the end of the race, but I'm challenging you to think of the beginning.
0: Yeah, that's it. So what I want to know is, is when you're working with a track and field athlete, that type of self-talk, it seems... And so you can correct me if I'm wrong. It seems that it's fairly predictable what you need to do if you just divide the race in thirds like you did beginning, middle, end, it's kind of gonna have this self-talk pattern. But I'm envisioning in an ultramarathon situation where the type of self-talk is not as predictable.
1: Never. No, it's,
0: never. <laughs> it's never predictable. <laughs> so it's not even not as predictable. It's never predictable. No, no. Like what's the analog? right? I guess is what I'm, what I'm asking. Yeah. Like you're going through a track and field, you're going through a track and field example. What's the analog in an ultra marathon situation to where an athlete has this like array of self-talk skills that they can deploy that is not necessarily contingent upon the chronology of how the race unfolds. Chunking. <laughs> Chunking. Chunking All right. I love it. I love the
1: it. I love it. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Uh, how many hills did the hill climbs that UTMB have in total? Seven? Seven, or eight? yeah, I think it's seven. Okay. Yeah. So we could, for example, put beginning, middle, end for each of those hills. Mm. This is an example.
0: Yeah.
1: Or to take from one aid station to another as an individual part alone and then reset again like okay I'm done with this now the next goal is the next aid station
0: so it's terrain based it oh, I mean you're 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 suggesting a terrain based chronology or terrain based approach
1: always it's so easy for us to look at any race as from terms of uh, distance and gain altogether Most of the athletes that uh, we were working together for long races, such as UCMB or CCC, we did the soft talk and the imagery all based by the elevation plot of the race. Mm. I would put them to visualize. This is like a, uh, a month before the race, but not the week of the race because I like them to be mentally fresh, not to think of these too much. So I like them to really go with the elevation of the race imagine different things and visualize the self-talk visualize the negatives and how we deal with them and then we chunk in different parts of the race so it's not okay for everyone i like them to tell themselves to calm down in the beginning this is very common i would say in any race but then it becomes very different in ultra running because Most races in ultra running, there's a really high chance that you will have a low point somewhere. You're going to have to deal with it. This is how it is. So we try from visualization and training to accept that, okay, there will be a low point. But what's very challenging if the athlete wasn't racing so much is that they might be shocked from how low it can be and how, how much they will, like, they tend to forget that it can be miserable sometimes. And this is something in training, it's hard to use because in training, it's uh, especially for the amateur ultra runner, they're going to be out 35 hours, 40 hours. In training, you're not going to train for 40 hours. So you can physiologically, it's very challenging to mimic how miserable things can be. So here it's uh, we try to mentally prepare and try to remember. So we do a lot of reflections related to previous events remember how miserable it can be. But still, it's not 100% similar. Mm. And this I've seen that it was very challenging to mimic to prepare for. Many athletes were shocked. Like I, I even you know you I'm a sports psychologist and I get shocked by races sometimes. Like uh, especially the shorter ones. Like myself every time but like it's, it's hard it's brutal and you train you prepare and it's a short event but still in race day it's always different it's always a here
0: here's what i do you can give me your thoughts on this and i do this especially with my like really experienced athletes where i know that they're going to go through a low point and even as experienced as they are they might not um they might have not have experienced as low of a low point as they're going to experience in, in their next race so I just have them draw up the worst scenario they can think of. Write it down on, you know, paper, electronic paper, send it over to me. And Inevitably, when they send it over to me, I add four or five things on this, like, dog pile of crap that they have kind of come up with, right? They come into an A station, their crew's not there, they've broken a pole, their shoelace is untied, you know, they're nauseous, they're throwing up, like, you know, there's like 10 different things yeah. that are all <laughs> kind of, like, happening at once, and... Once we come up with that, whatever kind of like contrived situation that is, that is inevitably an amalgamation of real things that could happen all at once. And that's typically what creates these really low, low points is it's not just one or two things. It's four or five things that are greater than the sum of their parts. And so the exercise is, is to, to, to try to, try to create the worst of the worst. That is the sum, that is greater than the sum of all the worst parts that you can think of. And then I just ask him to solve the problem. Like just solve it, like write down narrative format, go ahead and solve, go through all these things and what's the outcome. And that whole process usually takes like three or four weeks of conversation to actually kind of work through. But the point with it, the point that I always mention at the end of the day is, is, is that there's always a solution, no matter what you're faced with in an ultra marathon or in life for that, for, for, for that matter there's always going to be a solution to it. And, and I've, and I've used that, I've used that technique or that, that, that strategy like several times. And inevitably it's not as bad as what you can kind of create in uh training. And you know, where I got it from is I got it from the MMA world because I saw a lot of coaches and a lot of sports psychologists that would have their fighters rehearse that in training. What's the worst situation that you could be in with this particular, you know, opponent that you're facing? Well, I'm in some submission that they're really well known for is kind of the 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 basic scenario, right? Where it's a Von flu choke or, you know, some sort of triangle or whatever that their opponent is really well renowned for, they get caught in that is usually the worst thing that they can kind of come up with because when you're in that athlete, your opponent's strength, it's impossible to kind of get out. And I've kind of just used that as a, I've kind of just used the, the, what I figured was the ultra marathon mirror image of it. And I've actually found it to, 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 to be one enlightening to see what people are fear, fearful of. That's the first part that I get out of it as a coach. But the second one is to teach athletes that there's, no matter what you're faced with, there's some, there's some solution to it. And for most amateur athletes that are looking as for completion of their goal, Their failure point is not getting out of an aid station when they're at the lowest of lows. And if you can come up with tools and techniques to overcome psychologically, because it's very rarely a physiological phenomenon. If you can come up with tools and techniques to like teach them that they can really get out of it if they really put their minds to it. I've just found that really useful on race day. It's not going to be the optimal performance, but they're still going to, you know, reach their goal of, of of completion. So I was wondering if if that's I mean, what do you think about something like that and what are some other analogs that athletes can do to like pull out of those lows?
1: This is a fundamental part. The practice that you do with athletes is something I do almost about 3 to 4 weeks leading to an event. It's a fundamental part. I usually like to ask them to reflect on or sorry visualize and write this visualization uh through the event challenge themselves with things that might occur to them that happened in the past let's say how they might deal with them and then of course i would add a lot of surprising <laughs> and unexpected things and this is why something i like to go watch events As much as I can, because in each event you see really unpredictable things that might happen. So it gives you a set of creative ideas to challenge any athlete with and to wire them how to behave. I've had athletes who decided not to finish a race, let's say, and they were very fine with it because they knew, okay, this could be the red line where we have to say, okay, no more. And they were very fine. They got back at it again and they finished the events when things aligned perf- not really perfectly when, when things aligned well for them so we try to go over really unpredictable things to both verbally and visually try to make solutions and make peace with them because an ultra marathon have a lot of uncontrollable conditions uncontrollable uh, situations that we might face the nice thing about the ultra marathon is that we we can we can really compare it to life overall. We have a lot of uncomparable things. You have lows, you have highs, different conditions, day night. So it's a, quite an interesting event, and it it always amazes me whenever I'm working with ultra ultra running athletes. You you learn every individual is a learning experience.
0: So here's a pro tip for all the coaches that are listening out there that both you and I have talked about go to races and consciously yeah, yeah. observe what's going on uh, you know as much can as much focus as i put on peer mentorship and continuing ed and reading scientific literature and developing a network of professionals like you know what what you and i have been trying to do for the past several months and and those are all absolutely valuable there's one really simple thing that all coaches can do to immensely improve the effectiveness of the coaching that they deliver to their athletes and that's just to go to races and con- and just constantly and consciously observe what's going on write it down in a notebook and use all those learning lessons and deploy them with your uh, with your athletes. It's just so it's, I cannot I cannot quantify how valuable it is. I wish I could charge for. I wish I could like charge for that because that's like the golden goose right there, being able to do that.
1: Yeah. Um, also, a tip for students that are freshly graduating from either any sort of uh, professional sport program is to listen. to listen to coaches even those who might not have a degree but they've been working for 20, 20 plus years it's a tremendous opportunity to learn just by listening uh coaches that have been practicing for for a large amount of years like even sometimes they surprise me with mental tips that you don't see in the books or at university even
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, this brings it full circle to what we were talking about on how athletes can improve is writing down their training and having the coach or somebody else like actually listen and or read what those comments are to come up with the common linkages of what's going to induce performance. I think Mm -hmm. that that pattern of this is what worked and didn't work and here's how we're going to leverage that for the future you, if you do, if you put a really good eye on that, it works across physiology. It works across psychology. It works across all of these elements of athletic performance, because if you have, if you first have a good fundamental framework of how things work, and then you can look at those individual components to figure out how each athlete works within that base framework, that is a winning, that's going to be a winning formula with any athlete that you can work with period. And athletes that are DIYing it, that's your winning formula. Figure out like the baseline knowledge and then look at your, like really scrutinize your previous training, what you've done, how it works and how it doesn't work. That that gives you the capability of of unlocking so much.
1: Uh, To make it simple for uh, the athletes and the listeners, just like on our previous podcast, when we said mental skills should be periodized, soft talk should be periodized too. It should come in a synchronized way with your training. So sit with your coach or if you're a self-coached, try to sit down, make a plan, say, okay, in base training phase, self-talk is going to be related to what sort of effects I want to get from those. It should be all around joy, mindfulness, roaming around, nothing really too structured because you don't want to mentally burn out. You don't want to be a race-specific self-talk. I will do it. I'm thinking of race too early. It even will affect your your training sessions so much. You end up increasing your effort. Even heart rate can easily raise by 10, 15 beats simply if you're thinking and telling yourself stuff related to a race. I see this every other day with athletes. Uh, you see that they get too excited, they increase the pace, or even they keep the same effort, but you know heart rate rises up to 15 beats and then the athlete will come and ask you, okay, what has happened today? And I ask them, okay, was it hot? No. Okay. What were you thinking about? Was it race? Okay. That's excitement. So, um, and then as the race draw
0: and then as the race draws near, that's when you can deploy all the race specific stuff.
1: Exactly. So when you start to train for your event in really specific, first off, try to know your strengths. Don't do too much of those sneak in them every now and then but for the high level athletes or intermediate athletes if let's say they hit the downhill i hope that coaches would listen to sports psychologists in that case to know like okay the athlete is really having negative self-talk on the technical downhill. so we might want to add a bit of those to sharpen them up for the event to allow them to adapt And then, okay, in parallel, we will be working on refining that self-talk. With physiological adaptation, once they start to feel a bit better with the downhill, then we can find something positive and we hammer it. To really start to make it eventually a strength point. Because this is what we want to do. We want to make something we're not good at. We want to make it good and eventually very good. So same goes with the self-talk that comes in parallel to the physical skills. So, in the beginning of, in the middle of the season, we're refining self-talk. We're trying to make answers for the negatives, where we're, uh, some of the things we're transforming them to positive or to neutral, at least. And then towards the race, it's race-specific. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not good at. And you're trying to make a bit of logical explanation. And you're trying to understand how your chain of reaction is working. And you're trying to somehow cut or a bit manipulate these negative ones uh but uh, my tip number one is always start on the conservative side and control your self-talk in the beginning yeah this changes the whole event this is my golden tip for any athlete over any distance like really control your self-talk in the beginning especially in ultra running it's a long journey it's not that first uphill or that first hour of the race you don't know what might happen if you're three, four hours out there, and even on longer events, 20 hours out there, that one hour uh, can make a huge difference if you really start on a bit of a conservative side. We see even the elites blowing it off with their
0: starts. Yeah, and the more and more I talk to sports psychologists, the more and more I realize how much it actually parallels what you're trying to do with the physiology. I mean, even down to that just race scenario, You'd say the same thing physiologically. You don't want to blow yourself physiologically yeah. in the first, you know, quarter of the race. And the same thing with self-talk or any sort of sports psychology. The you mind is
1: going to read what the body is feeling. Yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. I get a lot of coaches uh, that would say when you're watching events. I think we spoke about this in the previous podcast, but I will repeat it. We're sitting and watching uh, a championship in on the track. And we'd say everyone's saying, ah, oh, this athlete mentally let go on the last uh, two, three laps. Most of the time, they didn't let it go. They just started slightly too fast, and they're paying yeah. for that mistake. So it's not mental. We, we blame the mental a lot of times. Like, it's mental. They're mentally let go. They're not strong in the head. And then everyone will tell them that after the event, and they will make them feel horrible about their mental state. Horrible. But this is a big mistake that we see from coaches. A lot of time the coaches has to understand that there's a lot of physiology happening. The mind is reading the physiology and a lot of physiological consequences can happen. It's so simple from that starting too fast by a couple of seconds on that lap. Uh, it's going to put you in a really negative spiral and then the community will bombard you because they, everyone just <laughs> thinks that you mentally let go. Okay. Sometimes we do mentally let go, but it's not as common as you think. If you pace yourself well, if you know physiologically what you have and you try to pace yourself well, given good conditions, of course, then can you can do well eventually.
0: I'm always reminded that the peanut gallery really never knows what's going on. Yeah, (laughs) we're we're dealing with that right now with the after we're sitting here a week after UTMB recording this and all the banter this week is going to be on how terrible the U.S. men are which is true. They weren't very good. I think that's, you know, that kind of goes unstated, but the peanut gallery as to why, and I'm part of the peanut gallery. I'll fully admit as to why they were so bad. We very rarely would know actually what's going on at the end of the day. Right. Only the, a- yeah, only, only yeah. the athletes know. And I think if we take that as the first perspective, it offers a little bit of sometimes
1: it's unrelated to, uh, to things that, okay, the athlete has trained, uh, everything was really good The preparation, the training Mentally everything is fresh and sharp But sometimes you just A lot of A lot of factors can happen It's just not your day sometimes yeah, Especially yeah, on sure. long events
0: Yeah, is there tricky, And you might end up dropping,
1: dropping, dropping And that's okay That's part of the sport But yeah. you know again One time things are going to align together uh, To a good ratio That you will go through your event And do well yeah. And uh, congratulations to your athletes uh, in that case, if let's say, you know, uh, um, I'm closer to such an athlete, I would easily, a day or two after the event, sit and reflect on how things went well and explore a lot of elements. A really long discussion with a lot of... Before the break, before that break, After, really, it has to be fresh yeah. to know, okay, what went well, what sort of things aligned well, to know, just to have an idea that what suits this athlete. What happened in the head? What happened in the physiology? What happened in nutrition? Uh, it might be overwhelming to for the athlete to work with several professionals. So let's say if I'm a sports psychologist, I'm going to have a discussion with her. If you're her coach, the physiological aspect, you're going to have a discussion. And then maybe the nutritionist. This is a lot. Um, but for high-level coaches, I recommend really knowing a bit of everything just so you can help other professionals get an insight rather than doing separate discussions like i know you're really keen on knowing a lot from a lot of fields so you can somehow discuss a lot of elements all together but uh, for uh, for a lot of coaches, it's not like this.
0: Yeah. so we're ultimately jacks of a lot of trades and masters of none. I have yeah. to give a little bit of context to that. So Kareem and I we sat down, we had pizza and a beer the day before CCC. Was it the day before CCC? It was like in, in UTMB, yeah. I think it was the day before. and, yeah, yeah. and we, we were having this we were having this casual conversation about the races and things like that. And, um, I happened to mention, uh, one of the athletes that, uh, I had out at those races that was that I was curing for. That she intentionally had gone through a big mental shift in her psychology. And we were going to see how that worked out during this race. And I remember telling you, I was like, it's either going to work or it's not, you know, and if it works, this is yeah. what we're going to start hammering down on it. And it. Cause it's, we found a winning formula If it doesn't work. We'll just try, you know, just kind of try something else. And the proof's always in the pudding that athlete was Abby Hall. She had a fantastic race, breakout race. I've written about it. You know, it's, and I'll link all that up, up in the show notes, but it's, it was neat to see that come to fruition because, you know, you as my witness, I, I went through the mental change that she actually went through and it paid off, you know, it, it paid, it was part of what paid off in a big performance. It wasn't the only thing, but it was a big part of it. So yeah, sometimes these things actually yeah, work out like we wanted to. It was. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man, we're going to let you go. I, thanks for coming on the podcast, especially such a short notice, because I did want to kind of capture the essence of the rest of that conversation uh, that, uh, that we had over in Chamonix. Before we let you go, where can people find more about you and what you do?
1: Uh, currently, it's on Instagram, but uh, my website is under construction. It's going to be the, need a little bit of time to be out there. But it will be out there in a couple
0: of months. Okay. When it's out there, send it to me. I'll blast it out because I really appreciate what you do. I'll, Thank I'll, you so much. I'll 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 link up your Instagram handle uh, in the show notes for anybody to check it out. Thanks again, my friend, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. All right, folks, there you have it. There you go. Much thanks to Kareem for coming on the podcast again today and explain to us how we can leverage self-talk for better performance. I can't tell you guys and gals out there how much I am coming to appreciate more and more as my career goes on all of these fantastic sports psychologists that are out in the field helping athletes and also how I've appreciated how this sports psychology aspect can move and be periodized in tandem with the physical training aspect that we tend to put a lot of time and attention to. I appreciate the heck out of each and every one of the listeners out there. As a reminder, this podcast has no sponsors and will never have sponsors. That is a promise that I made to the listenership at the very beginning of me starting this podcast. And it's one that I have dutifully attended to throughout the course of this podcast, despite people hitting me up and companies hitting me up every single week, wanting to throw me a few bucks to endorse their products. It is just not something that I want to get involved in because at the end of the day, I'm a purveyor of advice and I don't want any type of sponsorship or endorsement to adulterate that advice that I'm giving through these airwaves to you guys, the listeners. You all can help this podcast out by sharing it with your friends, your colleagues, and your training partners, or you can leave a rating or review on iTunes. I very much appreciate it when I see those ratings and reviews come across the wire. Appreciate the heck out of everybody listening, you guys. And as always, we will see you out on the trails.